Hello there, you wouldn't ordinarily expect to hear from me on a bank holiday Monday, but this isn't a real bank holiday. So I'm with you, it's a wet and pretty dull Salford. Today, sadly, a lot of kids off, it would have been nice to see the sun out, but that's for another day. Listen, I've got a really good guest for you this hour, Monday's Richie Allen Show. Get in touch via the message facility on the app or drop me a line through the website richieallen.co.uk. Uncensored, unfiltered, you're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, writing in Gripped, that's G-R-I-P-T dot I-E today, Fatima Gunning reckons that uh, there is no need for Ireland's dangerous new hate speech law. Yeah, we'll be talking, that's uh, a quote from Free Speech Ireland, by the way. We'll be talking to Keith Woods about that a little bit later on this hour. Really interesting guy is Keith. He's a political and social commentator from the right. That's how he describes himself. He's on Twitter. He's on Substack. And he was retweeted by none other than Elon Musk and Donald Trump Jr. Because of his work, his investigation of this new hate speech legislation in Ireland. So we'll talk to Keith about that and the implications for it this hour. And if there's time later, I think there might be a bit of time, I might as well uh, take some of your telephone and Skype calls. Yeah, we could do that later if there's time enough for it. Lovely. So that's Monday's programme then. It's great to be with you. To be with you, great. I chose the right day, didn't I, to do the old bank holiday show because what could you do with weather like this is pretty awful not going to talk an awful lot about the coronation that happened this weekend just gone nor am I going to spend an awful lot of time speaking about the media coverage of it which has been fawning and pathetic to say the least but we will talk about some of the protesters who found themselves arrested on Saturday we'll talk a little bit about that this hour as I said do drop me a line via the app there is an app for the show now Google Play or get it at the app store, leave me a message or do it the traditional way which is via the website richieallen.co.uk I like to start Monday with a giggle, I don't know if we should giggle at this, I really don't it's a story out of Ohio some of you have seen it and just like me aghast, apoplectic completely and utterly, well is this is vaudeville isn't it a judge in Ohio ruled that a transgender woman, this is gibberish, there is no such thing as a transgender woman, a man basically, could not have indecently exposed, wait for it, this is the male online, her penis in a YMCA female changing room after agreeing with her claim that she's too fat for it to be visible. Yeah, this is Darren Glines, who like a lot of Americans is obese, morbidly obese, That's a bit of a low blow. Not every American is obese or morbidly obese, but there's a greater proportion of Americans than most other nations who do find themselves to be obese or to be morbidly obese. So Darren Glines, who now calls himself Rachel, was found not guilty of three counts of indecent exposure at the YMCA facility in Xenia, Ohio. That's X-E-N-I-K. 
A. Help me out, dear American listeners. Do you pronounce that Xenia or Xenia? I never heard of it. Judge David McNamee. Well, Jesus, he's got Irish ancestry anyway, hasn't he? He ruled that Glines was not guilty because the size of her belly meant it would be impossible for anyone to see her penis. <laughs> That's the part I found funny. I, d- I shouldn't find it funny that a man went into a female changing facility at a YMCA and exposed himself in front of children because there were youngsters in that changing room. What do you do with judges like David McNamee? Does it matter that the penis wasn't visible because of the belly folds or the fat folds? Shouldn't he have been convicted of something? Anywho, yeah, we'll leave that one there. The stuff you do see when you're browsing the internet for stories for programmes like this. Let's talk about something a tad more serious. Radio 4 Today, that's the Today programme on Radio 4. Michelle Hussein and and Nick Robinson and others presented. They did have on the programme today Maria Van Kerkhove. Remember Maria Van Kerkhove? Remember her? The World Health Organisation technical lead on COVID-19. What does that even mean? I don't know. Haven't a clue. What do you do for a living, love? Well, I'm the WHO technical lead on COVID-19. I don't want to know. I'm not even going to ask you what does that entail. I couldn't give an arse. That's what you would say, right? Anyway, she is the World Health Organization woman who's doing the rounds of the media right now to plant the seed about the World Health Organization taking over global pandemic preparedness. You know this, I know this. Sovereign nations, there's no such thing anymore. Governments are about to hand over, just hand over entirely um, to the World Health Organization the responsibility for dealing with pandemics in future. That would mean that whatever the World Health Organization would say would then go, if you get me drift kind of a thing, you know. If we say it, that's how it goes. That's how it's going to be. Now, I think, I think, I think the first question posed to Maria Van Kerkhove was, how many people has COVID-19 killed to date? I think that's the first question. It's Monday, Monday, la, 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 la. And that's mistake number one. Maria Van Kerkhove is asked, I think, by Michel Hussein to tell us about the numbers as of May 2023, the numbers. I can't believe, actually, three and a half years. Um, The global death toll in that time, what what is the best estimate of what it has been? Mm. Well, officially, almost 7 million people have been reported dead from COVID-19, but we've done some estimates and it's more likely three times that, upwards of 20 million, maybe 22 million. Now, at this point, if you're a journalist, you jump in. She said, officially, it's 7 million people worldwide, but we've done some estimates and we put it at three times that, so about 21 million. Now, at that stage, you jump in because the journalist, it's pretty, it's an easy job, journalism. I've said this too many bloody times. It's a very, very easy job. You jump in and you go, um, explain the estimates. What did you do? How did you, how did you move from the official figure of 7 million, which is bollocks anyway, uh, to 21 million? Did Michel Hussein, the award-winning BBC journalist, jump in? No. The truth the truth is we don't completely know, but it's had a devastating effect on um not only the families that have lost people but it's did, did you just say 21 million and then say in the same sentence that you don't really know? It's impacted every single one of us. And what, um, what did for the you, last three and a half years? What did you at WHO think in January 2020 that the global death toll might be? 
That's a ridiculous question. Oh my goodness. I mean, it was, it was unfolding in front of our eyes. Um, our focus was on preventing as many infections as we possibly could at that point, really understanding what was the extent of infection at that point um, and what we could do to stop it if possible, how we could treat patients as best um, as possible before we even knew of the therapeutics. And of course, this was before we had a vaccine. Our primary focus was on, was on stopping the spread as and minimizing, reducing the impact as best we could. Stop e- lying, you wench, you rotten, rancid, wretched wench of a woman. Stop lying. Your primary responsibility back during the January, February, March period of 2020, your primary responsibility was um, to terrorize the bejesus out of the planet lie about the impact of COVID-19, uh, to demonise any man or woman in medicine who had the courage to say, what's going on? This is a pretty harmless infection. Why are you locking down? Why are you developing a vaccine? That was your primary responsibility. Not not to look at therapeutics. Your primary responsibility was to demonise ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and all the other rotten, lousy things you did in that particular period. I was going to play some more from this woman, but I Even won't. Even in those early stages. I won't believe her there. She she went on there to talk. They go on to talk about this new plan. It's not so new. The plan to hand it all over to the World Health Organization. That's the plan in the future. Globalism. Yeah. That's one world government by other means. Just give your power to supra... National organisations, there you are. We won't, um, we won't Im- employ, we won't apply our own individual tailored approach to dealing with illnesses in our country based on the demographic, based on the makeup of our country physiologically. No, no, no. What the World Health Organisation says will go in the future, Maria van Kerkhove. Is there anything else in this that we might listen to? You're right. I mean, countries reacted very differently. Um, what we were trying to do in the beginning and was was raising the alarm as, as loudly. She sounds so benign, doesn't she, Maria van Kerkhove? That plan is supposed to be tied up with a bow and the dots on the I's and the T's crossed by next year. That's when they will all have given up basically medical control what what would have been the chief medical officer in this country? I know, I know, I know. Does it matter? It doesn't matter, because Whitty just did what he was told last uh, last year in twenty twenty, like everybody else in every other country, with the exception of one or two. Sweden being one, of course. It's coming up for uh, eleven minutes past the hour. Hi to Ian. Hi Ian, who says, "How long before the thought police are countrywide?" And what the hell is patron account all about? And how do you find it? Um, we have a Patreon account for the show, yeah. Uh, hi to Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi to Steve James. Hi, Steve, who says he promoted his, this evening's programme on Twitter. Thank you, Steve. I'm, I'm dying of admiration here. Thank you very much. What do you want me to say to that? If you had a million Twitter followers, I might be impressed with that, Steve. Ross says, Richie, first time listening live, but never missed the podcast. Thank you. Hi to Bicub, who says... And it's a bit slow loading, this bloody thing, this afternoon, so you're going to have to bear with me. Uh, Kirkova sounds Russian, therefore automatically a bad person. Hold on, maybe she's Ukrainian. Thank you. Let's move on from that particular story. It's going to be a big one next year. Now, the arrests of anti-monarchy protesters on Saturday. I come to you hands 
out like this. Hands are out completely and utterly open and honest. I didn't watch a single minute or second of what transpired in the in, in London over the weekend. Of course I didn't. Why would I? Uh, didn't watch any of it. I am sure, though, that some of our eagle-eyed listeners, viewers even, listeners, may have been watching it because they would have been looking out for ex- things like symbolism and stuff like that. I'm sure there was lots of symbolism on show over the course of the two or three days, but I didn't pay any attention to it whatsoever. I was blissfully um, doing other things, right, but the arrests of anti-monarchy protesters, of course, I have been reading about that in the press. Graham Smith, the head of the group Republic, has been speaking and said the Metropolitan Police's decision to break up Saturday's planned protest before it even began trampled over the rights of Republic and its members. He said the group had been in conversation with Scotland Yard for months beforehand. City Hall politicians joined the London Mayor Sadiq Khan today in seeking answers from Scotland Yard over the detention of these protesters from Republic and also volunteers who were working for the local council to keep people safe. Apparently, people who had rape alarms, you know, volunteers who had rape alarms that they were going to pass out to, to hand out to women who might be vulnerable at such a large gathering, they ended up being arrested too. So he was speaking to the BBC, was Graeme Smith. He said, we had four months of conversation with the Met Police. We explained to them what we were going to do, where we're going to be, how many placards we had and what not. And then they came along and they bloody arrested us. Human Rights Watch, Yasmin Ahmed. Human Rights Watch is a, is a human rights group of course it's a it's a it's an activist group it's um it's um what is it <laughs> human rights watch it's monday yasmin ahmed speaking to the bbc about this today the uk government have rushed through laws they had a law that went through last year and a law that's just gone through this year and just prior to this which is severely restricting the right to protest so in this given situation the police and in fact the home secretary has an obligation to ensure that people have a right and are able to peacefully protest and what we know against this background is this is not just something that's happened out of the blue this is in light of the fact that the uk government have passed laws that now mean that your ability to protest and speak truth to power and hold power to account is now being severely limited for things such as if you make too much noise or if, for example, the police determine that this may cause serious disruption. And there are no any, there are no proper definitions which are being provided. So essentially what we have done, what the government has done, is allow the police to have absolute discretion in relation to when we can speak and when we can't. And the very idea that the suffragettes would not have been able to protest in the way they they did really speaks to where we are going as a society. Yes, the journalist Michael Crick is uh, in conversation here with LBC Radio. This was this morning. I think it's outrageous. I just think uh, it goes against everything that this country stands for. This is the sort of thing that goes on in... Moscow. This is the the reason why we are supporting Ukraine uh, in uh, the the current war. Um, and indeed, you know, we saw the blue and yellow in Westminster Abbey. I should think Charles is absolutely out, absolutely, really furious with this. He, no, no, Charles doesn't give a shite. Let's be honest about it now. He, he's a liberal man. He can't. He's what? Can't believe that the police should operate in this way. Of course, he can't speak out about it. No. Um, but, uh, you, you know, a, a constitutional monarchy involves 
the liberty of saying what you think and saying uh, that you don't believe in a monarchy, which is fair enough. Uh, that is a minority position, a significant minority position. It's a gross overreaction. It's now dominating uh, the, the news agenda. It will probably go on for months. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anybody's actually been charged yet, but if they are charged, uh, I would have thought that uh, some pretty good QCs will get them off. Um, uh, probably working pro bono. Uh, it could end up uh, in in the House of uh, not in the House of Lords anymore in the Supreme Court, um, it's just gross stupidity. Well, well, I, mean, before, I, I, I said on Saturday, yeah. the, the the Metropolitan Police are institutionally thick. Uh, in a moment of anger, I said that, but institutionally stupid, certainly. What? Mm, there's nothing stupid about it. It's pretty orchestrated. Things are changing. You know, these powers, as described by Yasmin Ahmed a moment ago, given to the police now to break up protests before they happen and move people on and arrest them for noise and whatnot. This might be, this is speculation, it's pure conjecture on my part, but this might have to do with what's coming down the line, you know. Because if we think the last three years was uh, draconian and was pretty awful... What they've got planned is far worse, I think. And this might just be the beginning. I don't mean to depress you at the very beginning of the week. Lucy says, Richie, I'm sure you secretly watched Charlie get his hat, exclamation mark. I didn't, Lucy, of course not. She says, I did see the Grim Reaper walk from one end of the cathedral to the other. That was very odd. <laughs> did you see that? I want to see the video. Uh, send me a click. I know you jest. Uh, hi to Faisal. Hi to Diane, who says, just imagine it. If no one took the World Health Organization's advice and carried on as normal, asks Diane. Yes, absolutely. Imagine. number of you have come on about the symbolism. Um, Gillian says, absolutely, symbolism everywhere, even the weird-looking, similarly spectacled choristers. Kids everywhere, creepy as feck, more like a funeral. Um, whose was for supper, asks Gillian. Hi to Dean, who says Jog Ears and his family have been hiding in plain sight forever. Savile learned well from his masters. It's so obvious that hardly anyone can see it. Grace Ann says, Richie, last time I checked the World Health Organization... Got everything wrong, just like many politicians worldwide, says Grace. Thank you, Grace. Isabel c came on to say via the app, use the app if you want to use uh, the website. It's all good. Is there any way of avoiding falling into the hands of the World Health Organization? Asks Isabel. It has 194 member states, every country except Liechtenstein, which is a member of the UN, but not of its global health agency. I think we've got to move to Liechtenstein, says Isabel. Give it time, Isabel. Give it time. Good evening then to, let me scroll on down, to uh, Christopher, to Jenny, to Elizabeth. Lots of comments. Do interact with others on the website. Chat away with people there and uh, just be nice. Remember to be nice. It's 19 minutes past the hour. Let me, is there something else? Oh, there is one more thing. I found this interesting today. This uh, story about a blood test which will determine whether a driver who caused an accident was impaired by lack of sleep. Did you see this? This is rather, again, kind of dystopian. Again, I know some of you will probably disagree with that, and you'll say, well, Richie, if somebody is getting into a car and they're absolutely knackered, 
they probably shouldn't get into a car if they haven't slept very well. They might think to themselves, well, you know what, I might be a danger to myself and others. So maybe this is a good thing some of you will say. But this is, um, we first heard about this about three, four years ago. But now it's imminent, a blood test, which will be able to determine, imagine that, a blood test will determine whether you didn't have enough sleep and if you were drowsy when driving, not because you had the gargle or the sherbets or whatever, but because you didn't have enough sleep. This is funded by the Australian Government Office of Road Safety. They say that evidence is mounting that driving on less than five hours sleep is as dangerous as being over the legal drink drive limit in many countries. There is a woman called Professor Claire Anderson at Monash University in Melbourne. She's leading efforts to develop this test, which will determine whether you had enough sleep or not. This is a bit mad, really. Here she is in conversation with BBC Radio 4 today. Yes, so we've been running laboratory studies to try and to see if we can take a blood sample to determine how long somebody has been awake. And in a laboratory environment, we can detect if somebody's been awake for 24 hours with almost perfect accuracy. And how will that lead to potentially prosecuting motorists who are too tired? Well, we're not obviously doing this with the the primary aim of prosecuting motorists that are tired. We think it's really important to develop new tools and systems to detect how long somebody's been awake. And one of those approaches might be in the context of driving. But also they're really important for forensic analysis where crashes have already happened and blood samples can be easily taken. But certainly a future, you know, such as like a breathalyzer for alcohol, having that kind of test, you know, is, is much further away in the future and and much more work needs to be done before we we reach that kind of um, you know that kind of test. It's all looking rather chilly, isn't it, in the future? Chilling, Judge Dredd, two thousand AD. Chilling when they'll be asking you for blood samples to see if you had enough sleep before getting into the car. There might be people listening to this program who may have been victims of 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 a, of, a, of a traffic accident. And they might think to themselves, well, you know, it's not the worst idea in the world. Just before I phone Keith Woods, the Irish writer and uh, blogger and broadcaster, let me play you this clip from RTE News, which happened. This clip um, was on the evening news about three days ago, right? So listen to the clip. It's about the new legislation in Ireland. At the end of it, the man you hear at the end will be Simon Harris, the Justice Minister in Ireland. Now, this is chilling. Have a listen to this. Right, OK. Ireland is introducing new incitement to hatred legislation. That's because the existing law is seen as ineffective. However, the new proposals have attracted criticism from at home and abroad. The new legislation criminalises communication or behaviour that's likely to incite violence or hatred against people because they're associated with a protected characteristic. It says those characteristics are race, colour, nationality, religion, national or ethnic origin, descent, gender, sex characteristics, sexual orientation and disability. A penalty for an offence will be up to five years imprisonment. But there's a clause which says people in possession of hate speech material without yet distributing it can also fall foul of the legislation. Billionaire Elon Musk tweeted the legislation is a massive attack on freedom of speech and Donald Trump Jr. said it's insane what's happening in the free world. 
Funnily enough, I don't take my political philosophy from the Trump family uh, or from Mr. Musk uh, or his associates. What it is about, though, is keeping people safe and making sure that people can go about their lives and not be discriminated against and has, have a result of that discrimination seeing them often be physically assaulted. Yeah, that's uh, Simon Harris, Ireland's Justice Minister. It is pretty chilling, isn't it, really? You could be in possession of material that might cause hurt or offence to a protected characteristic or a group of people, right? Or somebody with a protected characteristic. And you've no intentions of throwing that material at people or or offending anybody. You might just be reading something, but you could find yourselves then in breach of this new law. This is um, beyond beyond mad, isn't it? Let's um, let's welcome Keith Woods to the programme, uh, if I can just get him up there. Now, Keith has been all over this. I've been following him on Twitter. He's got a BitChute account. You'll find him on BitChute. You'll find him on Substack. And um, he's an interesting character. He's a political and social commentator. He says from the right, he's the host of Understanding Platonism. You'll find him at Keith Woods Pub. Keith Woods Pub, P-U-B.substack.com. Check him out. Keith, welcome to the programme. Hey Richie, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. No, it's an honour, mate. Thanks for doing it. And um, this, well, it's not a bank holiday, um, of course, um, back home. But good to have you on, Keith. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't understand this. I, I do, and I don't understand it. Um, can you lay it out for our listeners? The, the, we have an act in Ireland that dates back to 1989 called the Prohibition of mm-hmm. Incitement to Hatred Act. And that act pretty much covers most or all of what they claim that this new act, which is called the Criminal Justice Incitement to Violence or Hatred and Hate to Offences Bill 2022. There's no need for this legislation, Keith, is there? No, absolutely not. I mean, this has come after a push originally from the European Union to try and get Ireland's hate speech laws more in line with the rest of continental Europe. And of course, there's the massive NGO sector here as well, you know, NGOs so-called. Of course, most of these organizations get heavy funding from the government. Um, But yeah, you have this army of of bureaucrats, of think tanks that come out of the university system, heavily indoctrinated into, you know, progressive ideology. And they basically lobby the government for, uh, you know, whatever the latest in progressivism is. And now we're at the situation where Ireland will have what, I think it's the most radical hate speech bill we've seen yet. I mean, the UK has especially bad laws around hate speech, right? We've seen uh, people arrested for praying outside abortion clinics. We've seen uh, a young girl, 19, was uh, charged a couple of years ago for posting a lyric from a rap song to her Instagram that a black person found offensive. So the UK is is kind of uh, leading the charge in these draconian hate speech laws. But in many ways, Ireland's laws are even worse than that. I mean, the idea that you can be persecuted for having material on your device that you didn't even intend to distribute. And I've also never seen a clause like this where there's actually the presumption of guilt and the person has to prove their motive. You have to prove your intent. It's assumed that you were planning to use whatever material it was to you know, go out and spread hate and break the law. And you have to prove that you didn't intend to do that. Now, I don't know how you prove a negative in general. You know, that's kind of like a a, a basic uh, sort of fallacy in philosophy. You, you know, if, if you ask someone to prove something didn't happen, right, the burden of proof 
should be unproven that something did happen. But especially when it comes to someone's intent, right? How do you prove what's in your heart? How do you prove that you weren't planning to do something in the future? So obviously, there's no way anyone can really match that standard of evidence. So what this essentially comes down to is it's a test of loyalty to the regime. If you're loyal to the regime ideology, that means that you didn't have a motive. That means that you didn't have an intent to go out and break the law. And if you're a dissenter, if you have the wrong opinions, well, then, you know, the courts will assume that you had the wrong motive and that you didn't intend to break the law. So as even Paul Murphy, who I'm no fan of, you know, he's a fat, fair radical left uh, TD in the doll, a Trotskyist, but even him and his group who are, you know, Trotskyist communists, even they oppose this because they thought putting in a hate, uh, talk crime clause into this legislation was too draconian, was too much of an infringement on civil liberties. So, you know, you're correct. There's no need for this legislation. Um, anything they claim it solves is already covered in the bill you mentioned from 1989. But the way it goes further is that they can essentially criminalize any dissent now. And I guess that's what was missing from the previous legislation. You, you mentioned, Keith, at the, uh, at the outset that the, the European Union, is there's an involvement there where they want to kind of bring Ireland into line. So while on the one hand, Ireland seems to be, well, what's planned for Ireland seems to be worse than anything we've seen previously. I, I don't know much about what's happened around Europe. I mean, are we seeing these types of bills you know, happening around EU member states at the moment, do we know? Well, I mean, a lot of this was, you know, in, in many ways, Ireland has actually been a lot better than the rest of Europe for political free speech. I mean, uh, Holocaust denial is illegal in pretty much every continental European country. Uh, Ireland is a rare exception for that. Now, I don't think there's ever been, you know, a huge problem with, with people no. uh, speaking on that issue here or that's caused huge problems. But that's something, it's just an example of where Ireland wasn't quite, you know, up to speed with the rest of Europe. That's also uh, included in this bill now. You know, it says that trivializing or, or questioning the numbers of, of war crimes or genocides will be illegal. Um, but yeah, in many ways, you know, continental Europe already has these draconian hate speech laws. You know, we've seen people uh, in prison for question historical narratives. I think the UK has over 3000 arrests a year for speech. And most of that is, you know, stuff that's posted to Twitter, um, people expressing themselves in not very politically correct ways. And we read all, all the horror stories from that. So in a lot of ways, it is Ireland catching up with the rest of Europe. But, you know, as is always the case, and uh, I think some nationalists here have coined this term for, for the attitude of, of the political elites in Ireland, that it's like good boyism. They want to be the best boy in class, right? They want to, uh, you know, these lackey politicians, they want to kind of outdo everyone else at, at how progressive they're. And that's kind of what they've done with this bill. It's like, on the one hand, we are catching up with the rest of Europe. But it's also like they want to even go beyond that and, and make it, you know, far more draconian than the rest of Europe. Because as I say, uh, I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure I know of any other uh, hate speech bill in Europe where you can essentially be arrested for thought crime. So I really don't think we've seen anything on this scale no. so far. That That is absolutely appalling, isn't it? The idea that you, I mean, you're, you, you, you must research for your Substack um, account. You must research for your podcasts. You might be looking into elements of, um, you know, you know, extreme far right. I don't know. You might be looking into the history of that. You might be looking into things that people may have said and why. 
and the idea that somebody could come along, you know, an authority figure, a policeman, a guard, and say, well, hang on, Keith, um, you, you know, you, you, you have this material in your possession, therefore you've got to come with us. I mean, this is the sort of thing that if we were to have this conversation a few years ago, people would say, you're exaggerating, this is over the top, but it's in black and white, it's in the legislation. I see Sarah Hardiman has been speaking to uh, Gripped.ie and she represents Free Speech Ireland and she talks about very well-funded NGOs. Are there NGOs operating you know, around this type of thing, around this type of legislation in Ireland and beyond? And who are they? Because you mentioned Trotskyists and, and Communists. Now, I'm, 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 well, I would describe myself as an old Bolivarian socialist, right? That's what I would have been mm-hmm. when I identified as anything. Now, I don't know what the hell I am, but what I do know is the people I would have palled around with when I was at uni many, many, many years ago, um, they would never have tolerated this. I don't know what's happened to the left in the last 15, 20 years, but this just wouldn't have, this wouldn't have um, gone over at all, you know, you know, amongst people who would have considered themselves to be on the left of politics. They would have been just as aghast as any conservative. But NGOs, I mean, who, who's really, or what's really behind this? Are we talking about open democracy? Are they spending a lot of money on it? The Gates Foundation. These are the sorts of questions now that are flowing in uh, through um, mm. the app from our listeners. Who's really behind this? Yeah, well, first, I mean, just to go back to your point about how easy it would be to prosecute someone under this. I mean, it's like I I use the app Telegram a lot, you know, and you're in a lot of different like uh, discussion groups and public groups where anyone can post. And, you know, people will post memes and and infographics and so on. And a lot of that gets automatically saved on your phone. Now, also in this law, if you don't hand over a password or an encryption key to the Gardaí, you can also face prison time, a 5,000 euro fine. So... You know, the way the internet is, right, uh, especially among younger people, like there's a lot of edgy humor, um, you know, a, a lot of a sort of, uh, you know, Generation Z humor is built on sort of, you know, blurring the line of edginess and like how far can you push things. Yeah, It would be very easy for them to take like a, you know, what would be considered maybe like a racist meme or something that's only intended in jest and say, well, this has hateful intent behind it. So I think really anyone could be could be caught under this law. But as far as who's pushing it, uh, you mentioned the Open Society Foundation. There actually is Soros fingerprints under uh, on this, because one of the main NGOs that's been pushing for harsher speech, hate speech laws for years is the Irish Network Against Racism. Now, we currently have a very bloated NGO sector here. And again, I don't really like the term NGO, but we don't have anything better at the minute. Um, but INAR, or the Irish Network Against Racism, has been pretty influential here, even prior to this big bloated sector, right, even in the early 2000s. That is part of a bigger network called the European Network Against Racism, and that is funded by the Open Society Foundation. So, you know, it doesn't take long looking at some of the NGOs that push for this to trace it back to uh, some of the usual suspects. But Ireland has this very strange kind of governance system where, as I say, you have all these NGOs, uh, most of them have heavy government funding. And you look at the submissions that the government received in terms of crafting this legislation, you know, expert suggestions and so on. And it's just this long, long list of these NGOs. They're staffed by people that, you know, come out of the college system with liberal arts degrees and so on. They're heavily indoctrinated into the ruling ideology. They're heavily indoctrinated into progressivism. 
And they just craft this legislation, you know, oftentimes on, on behalf of the EU, but really just in service of this globalist agenda. And that's how this hate speech bill has happened along the whole way. It's been this these uh, progressive NGOs, as I said, there's there's foreign influence, some of it is state funding. And yeah, I mean, this is this is the the final product. Is there's really no dissent or discussion around any of this? Um, well, do you know it's something? Been four Keith? years. Sorry to interrupt yeah, you. On, on that, the Irish media only took a look at this because of you being retweeted by people like Elon Musk and Donald Trump Jr. So you're listening to Keith Woods um, on Monday's Richie Allen Show. Go to keithwoodspub.substack.com. You'll find him on Twitter. Um, he's a political and social commentator. He says from the right, and it's great to have him on the programme today because this is huge. So Keith got has, has received an enormous amount of attention because some huge Twitter users have seen what's going on in Ireland uh, through Keith and have retweeted this stuff and it's because of you that the Irish media took a look at it and did I read something posted by you over the weekend w- was it only after what happened to you getting retweeted by these people was it only then that there seemed to be a little bit of opposition in Irish political circles yeah I mean the thing is this has been going through the legislative system here for four years right and you know it's great this is getting the attention it is now but it's such a shame in a way that it's come so late. And that is because of the failure of the duty of the media to hold power to account, right? Because the time to oppose this would have been when it was being drafted by those international globalist NGOs. The time to oppose this would have been when it was going through the doll with every political party uh, supporting it. Um, but because there's no media scrutiny, because the only time this really appears in the media is to say, you know, this is great and uh, everyone supports this and you shouldn't have an opinion on it. No one really had like a, a movement they could unite around or, uh, you know, there wasn't one big thing like that would generate publicity and, and you know, get the hashtags going, get the protest going or whatever. And so it's been very difficult for the people to uh, have a voice on this. Uh, RTE, the national broadcaster here, did a poll that found that only 19% of Irish people want hate speech laws. They also had a public consultation process uh, where 73% of the responses were negative. So there's nothing even close to a majority that want this. But yeah, it's a it's a total failure of the media. You see now, uh, you know, thankfully, my, my tweet did get a lot of attention on this and you know, rightfully so, because I think anyone recognizes reading this, how radical it is. And if this comes to the rest of the Western world, it's, it's that's really it for free speech. But, we, yeah. you know, that highlights the, the failure of the media here. Yeah, it's dreadful. I mean, I, I got my start in the media back home and I never foresaw happening to the media what has happened not obviously just there but here as well completely absent really in the last three four years more so more visible to people i think in the last three or four years just how bad it's been huge interest in this right so let me just read a couple of these messages coming in alan has been in touch from scotland to tell me he says uh let me what did i do with that now because this is already in scotland you probably know this uh keith I hope I haven't deleted that. But um, this came into being in, in, in into law in Scotland last year, uh, to be honest, uh, says Alan. Uh, let me bring that up. Jesus, what's happening to me? It must be a Monday. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. So this, so, so we've seen this in Scotland. You, you mentioned incidents of 
you know, police turning up and this, again, when we do shows like this, we do hear from people who say, ah, this can't really be going on, but it is going on. It has happened, as Keith said earlier on, it has happened many times in this, in this country. I've had Christian women on this programme. Um, you know, who, who um, one, one Christian woman in, in particular, Caroline, who's um, very well known, who's going through this at the moment, who had her devices and all her children's devices confiscated last year because some trans person or other claimed that he was misgendered on, on Twitter. So this stuff really is, really is happening, Keith. And uh, so a little bit of opposition here. But what can people do? When is this likely to become law in Ireland? People are asking me. Uh, so it's gone through the doll, uh, which is really the place it could have been defeated. But every political party, uh, bar one, uh, into quite a small party supported it. And yet, to his credit, you know, they have come out since since this cop publicity and said, hey, we oppose this. But yeah, now it's going to the Shannon, the Irish Senate. Um, they can't reject it. Uh, you know, they, they don't have a lot of power. They can suggest amendments to it. And that's one good thing that's happening is is with all of the publicity now, a lot of senators are coming out and suggesting ways this could be changed to make it less draconian, to offer more free speech protections. So one thing people could do is, is email Irish senators. You know, you can look up their list of email addresses. It's all online. You can contact them, apply some pressure. Um, but it does look like it's almost certain that we will get something like this, something, you know, even if there's an amendment or two, it will be pretty much this. And we should have it by uh, summer, it's looking like. So, yeah, there's there's a little bit of pressure that can be applied to senators. But again, unfortunately, you know, the complete media failing means that people are suddenly finding out about this as it's, it's pretty much already law. Alan Rennie, it was from um, Glasgow. Uh, remind you and Keith Ritchie that here in Scotland, the hate speech law was passed last year and also the Communications Act. Um, basically, you can't hurt anyone's feelings anymore with the truth. Now, I've covered extensively in the last 12 to 18 months problems um, back home in, in, in Ireland, uh, Keith, wh- where where people have come out to express what I think are legitimate concerns about Ireland's kind of cavalier approach to, well, the Irish government, I should say. It's kind of cavalier approach to immigration, which is basically an open door kind of a migration policy, right? And I see that, mm-hmm. and my politics are on the left. I'm an old socialist. I would have, I, sadly, to my to my shame, I would have been one of those some years ago, you know, shouting at people and not calling them racist, really, but kind of holding my nose, you know, when anybody asked questions about immigration. I was stupid back then. Maybe I'm not any less stupid now, but maybe I'm a, a little bit less stupid. But I've been covering this, right? So people are asking questions, saying, listen, their services are finite in our country, because of your, you know, approach to the COVID uh, pandemic, the, the, because of your approach to everything over the years, education, housing, everything, services are finite. You have an open door migration policy. This is having a real world effect on people in communities, communities all over Ireland. We don't like it and we want this to stop. Now, under this legislation, under this bill, those people could quite easily be considered to be hateful, right? And, and, and dealt with accordingly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I made a video. I'm, I still happen to be on YouTube if anyone wants to check it out. But I made a video kind of going through this more comprehensively this week. And one clip I included in the video was uh, there is a government minister who was discussing these protests last year. 
And he was talking about the government response and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, we respect the community concerns, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but he, he did say that one of the reasons they were rushing to get the hate speech legislation through as quickly as possible is show, so that he could uh, shut down, you know, quote unquote, hateful voices or, or far right agitators, as, as they'll call them, uh, opposition to mass immigration and to this new plantation that's happening in Ireland where hundreds of unvetted, you almost always male military age migrants are dropped into small communities, usually working class areas like East Wall in Dublin was kind of the focal point for last year. But it has been along the way, the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, former Justice Minister, she also had a, an opinion piece before where she talked about hate speech laws being necessary to kind of silence some of this dissent. So, <laughs> You know, it's it's really not much of a stretch to say that the purpose of these laws is to silence political dissent. Uh, another thing I covered was the Garda commissioner here, uh, Drew Harris, who used to work for uh, British intelligence and the British police services. He had a piece in The Independent where he was quoted as saying that, you know, he was going to direct his police force to shutting down these protests. And the amazing thing about the article is he didn't even accuse the organizers of doing anything illegal. The most he said was that he found the rise of this movement sinister. <laughs> now, uh, it doesn't make it a crime if the Garda Commissioner finds your protests or your political position sinister, but they have been speaking pretty openly about the fact that they need new laws to shut down organizers of protests. You know, they say words like far right agitators. They won't tell you who they mean, but what it essentially means is, you know, citizen journalists. Uh, concerned citizens that have Twitter accounts or Telegram accounts and are, are posting about this and are expressing their political opinions. So, yeah, we've got to this really tyrannical situation where you have government ministers and agents of the security services speaking pretty openly that, hey, we need uh, new police powers so that we can shut down anyone that opposes the mass immigration agenda. Number of, I think that's how these laws are going to be used. Yeah, a number of people are mentioning climate change. That's another subject I kind of tackle a lot on this programme. As an old lefty, it's the last time I'll say that, Keith. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you heard me the first time. But as an old lefty, of course, when I was on radio many, many years ago in mainstream radio, I was pushing this climate thing pretty hard. So I always say that to people who imagine that, you know, that I've always been against climate change and against science. No, no, I was all for the climate change thing. And I went to a conference in Marbella about 12, 13 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, when Kofi Annan was there telling us the world was going to end. And I lapped it all up at the time. Um, but I've looked into it. And I'm, like yourself, academic background. I'm used to doing research. I've had a good look at it. And I don't believe that we are approaching a climate apocalypse. I don't believe that. I don't believe there's any evidence to suggest that we're all going to be under six or ten feet of water in 30 or 40 years' time if we don't reach net zero. And I'm also alarmed by the proposals to tackle this apocalypse because it's just more horrific, draconian, dystopian law. So that's where I am on climate change. So listeners are on this and they're saying, Richie, 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 this climate change is going to play a big part in this as well. These laws are because the... The, the solutions to climate change are basically going to turn the planet into a prison and make life pretty unbearable. And they're putting up the barriers before that happens with laws like this. Um, you don't have to get into climate change if you don't want, but uh, I sympathise with those views that are coming through on the app today. What do you think? 
Um, well, there's there's definitely a push for silence and freedom of speech on that issue online, at least. I mean, I know YouTube, as an example, and a few other platforms introduced new guidelines where it's a similar situation to COVID-19 now, where, you know, I remember a couple of years ago on, on YouTube, if you even said the words COVID-19, you'd have a video automatically taken down. It's a very weird situation. Um, and they've introduced something similar with climate change now, where they've basically banned uh, question that narrative will get your channel taken down. As far as these hate speech laws, I don't think that was a, a huge motivation in this. Um, there doesn't seem to be huge dissent around that issue in Ireland currently. And the, the so-called protected characteristics that this bill covers, it is things like um, what they call, you know, uh, gender identity, yeah. uh, migrant status, race. So I, I think the two kind of core issues that were motivating it was, uh, like I said, the, the plantation and the opposition to mass immigration. And the other thing is the LGBT agenda. There has been a lot of pushback against some of the radical sex education that's been taught in, in Irish schools here. Um, you know, they've pushed the LGBT and the trans issue stuff really hard. So I think that's the two main issues that you are starting to see a lot of ordinary people uh, really kind of converge on and push back against. And I think that's the, the main purpose of this bill. But look, I wouldn't at all be surprised if if we do see an extension of uh, of bills like this, science and freedom of speech related to to climate change as well climate denial and stuff. Keith Woods is our guest. Isabel says, Richie, if I understand Keith correctly, if the bill passing through the door at the moment had been implemented when COVID happened, would anyone back then who spoke out against lockdowns or who said the vaccine might not be so necessary, would they have found themselves in hot water back then? I suppose they would, Keith. Um... Again, I think as far as the protected characteristics go, I think it's really intended to silence it on spe specifically Specific immigration, yeah. the LGBT agenda, because a protected characteristic could be uh, gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, I think that's the, the two main issues for this at the minute. Again, you know, th this have, these have been uh, a few years going through. So in a lot of senses, the government, you know, it, it didn't maybe prepare for things like, uh, you know, so-called climate denial or, or the COVID-19 agenda. But definitely as far as transforming Ireland and, you know, this Ireland 2040 plan they have and the mass immigration agenda, the main thing they're concerned about, I think, is is a, a real populist movement that would push back against the, the demographic transformation and, and the radical LGBT agenda. And, and I, I totally agree with that. It is about the identity. The, the protected characteristics you described right now, no doubt about that. That's what they're after. Um, I get asked this every time we do something like this. What happened to the Irish? What happened to the fighting Irish? Where's that rebellious spirit that, um, you know, you, you, you go down through the ages, was always kind of present in our country? You know, this, um, this um, kind of refusal to be dominated, to be domineered. Why Why are people like you, and I, I'm, I'm grateful there are people like you, and this is not meant to be negative now, but why are you in the m minority? Why are the majority of people happy to put their noses in the air and call people racist when they ask questions about immigration? Why are they, you know, um, uh, so quick to call people homophobes because they believe that 10-year-old children are way too young and immature to be dealing with issues like, you know, um, their sexuality. What, what, where is that 
you know, that Ireland that I would have believed I was living in growing up where, you know, there was a bit of pride in being Irish. There was a bit of pride in standing up for yourself, Keith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm like you, actually. I started out uh, kind of on the left. And still, you know, on, on economic issues, I, I might be considered like left of centre. I started out as a Sinn Féin supporter. And, you know, to be fair, when I, when I started out supporting Sinn Féin, these issues weren't really... They didn't seem like issues at the time, right? No yeah. one was really discussing immigration or LGBT or any of this radical stuff we see now. But I think that's still the mindset of a lot of Irish people. Like, I think a lot of people support Sinn Féin thinking that they're a, a nationalist party, that they're a populist party. And a lot of people, you know, colonial history and, and so on, still see it as, as kind of rebel position uh to support this stuff you know they get this fake narrative that like somehow the you know the this dominant ideology is, is like donald trump and you know the the middle class uh, white guy trying to make us be be conservative christians or something and they, they feel like they're the rebels by supporting progressivism when of course you know as we know progressivism has the full support of you know, basically the entire elite class, uh, the media, the business class. But part of it as well, I think, is just the kind of structures here. Like I said, the fact that there's really no uh, media that pushes back against this. Uh, there's really no right-wing uh, conservative party. You know, in the U.S., you have something like the Republican Party, which obviously uh, wouldn't uh, support the things I support. But nevertheless, they have certain things, you know, Fox News, so on, certain things that are sort of at least like aesthetically right that people with uh, problems with the political regime can gravitate to. Now, up to now, it's been like complete consensus. The media is entirely sort of South Dublin, uh, liberal agenda. The political parties, very different, very little difference between them. Now, that's a bad thing, but it does have a positive side as well, which is, I think, the fact that there's such a gap there for any kind of populist movement and the fact that there isn't any of these like fake uh, right-wing alternatives to kind of uh, be a pressure release valve. I do think it makes it kind of inevitable that some kind of popular movement will emerge. And to be fair, you can see on Twitter, I think there is an energy there. You know, uh, the no hate speech laws has been, it has something like 25,000 tweets in the last few days under that hashtag. It's suppressed from trending. But you can see, I think there's the makings of a movement that will push back against this. I guess another factor is how much Ireland has benefited economically, or, you know, that's the perception, at least, is we've benefited so much from globalization, right? All the American multinationals, the exports to the European Union. But I guess that can only last so long as well, you know? So once once some of the uh, benefits of, of the EU and of globalization become not so sweet to the Irish people, and you can see now with the housing crisis and how difficult it is for anyone to get a family home or get in the housing ladder, you know, I think people are going to start asking questions about the, the deal Ireland was dealt in the last few decades. So I'm hopeful we will see uh, something that, that taps more into that Irish fighting spirit and it is, you know, real pushback against this agenda. Keith, before I ask you about, you know, fake right alternatives, because I'm fascinated by this, um, Nicola Lund is listening, friend of the programmes, writes for the Conservative Woman here in the UK and other publications. And she says it definitely appears that the Irish government wished to protect those who are immigrants, trans, etc. But I believe it's a Trojan horse and the real agenda is to prepare us for not questioning things like climate and climate restrictions and stuff like that going forward. I've kind of a foot in both camps there because I see what Keith is saying. I can see it clearly. 
Yeah, you know, it, it is. Well, it I, is... I, I can see it from that perspective as well, because to be fair, the uh, the clause I highlighted, Section 10, that says any materials that could be used to spread hate, that is especially broad, right? And I could definitely see that going beyond so-called protected characteristics where, yeah, you know, maybe uh, so-called climate denial material uh, or something along those lines could be considered a hateful material, mm. right? Because it, it could cause harm to others. So I have no doubt, like one, once they have a bill like this established, right, it's it's very easy to expand the scope of that to pretty much anything. Yeah, you know, here in the UK, in the online harms bill, which they've renamed two or three times, one of the provisions is to deal with legal but harmful content. And mm. I mean, that's just the most... I'm John Waters described this so much better than I did, and I can't even recall how he described it, but it was poetic how he described that. You know, you're not supposed to be able to get your head around that, was effectively what he said. You know, the public is supposed to get tied up on knots by this stuff, but um, legal but potentially harmful. And I think in the future, yeah, they... they I mean, we... I, I would have interviewed doctors be at the very beginning of the COVID thing and I'm, I'm talking about academics from places like Harvard University and they were warning against mRNA jabs, you know, saying things like you know, these weren't anti-vax doctors or, or academics, they, they, these were people saying this stuff is happening too quickly, they can't really say it's safe so you know you'll have to be a bit careful so people like me and, and my partner and, and, and friends of ours we never had a jab, you know and the things that were said about people like us over late 2020, all the way through 2021, because we not only wouldn't have a jab, but we kept putting legitimate doctors, not Facebook, you know, um, content creators, but real doctors who said, look, be careful about these jabs. But I do feel in, 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 the, fu- in the future, kind of um, legal but harmful is going to be a big thing, not just here, but in Ireland as well, where I think they'll dream up stuff like, you know, you shouldn't be able to say that vaccines are dangerous or you shouldn't be able to say that this is not good for society or this is not the way we should proceed in the pandemic. Because if you do, it might lead to some idiot, presumably, Keith, who can't think for themselves. That person might think, oh, well, I heard the Richie Allen show or I heard Keith Woods, therefore I'm not going to have my medicine or a vaccine or whatever. That's where it's going, I believe, particularly in this country. Do you... Can you believe any of this is happening? I I do ask my guests this quite a lot, you know, just to bring it back to the human side of all of this. Because I can't, my head is spinning. I be I became a journalist in 1997. And um, for most of the last 25 or so years, I've been working in journalism one way or another. But I, I really can't believe or hear now that this type of thing is happening, that a woman, and I've had her on the programme, was arrested for praying outside an abortion clinic. That a woman can be arrested and have all her devices seized because she refuses to believe that a bloke with a penis in a dress is a woman. Do you sometimes, does it keep you up nights, Keith? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, uh, I guess I'm, I'm younger than you, so maybe uh, I'm, I'm almost used to how, how crazy yeah. some of this stuff is. But uh, yeah, no, look, it's crazy. I mean, I, I saw an article recently uh, in California that they, they have a board that was dealing with the question of reparations that is currently yeah, proposing yeah, giving yeah. something like, uh, what is it, a, a couple of million dollars to each resident? I think it might, it might even be more each, each black resident in California. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I think there was a point where 
um, you know, this this progressive ideology, wokeism, whatever you want to call it. I think it was kind of uh, very controlled by the elites originally, and it, it kind of served their purpose in sort of undermining that, you know, working class uh, economics focused left that maybe you were a part of, right? It, it kind of distracted from that and it focused on, on all these social issues and, and made them kind of forget about the class-based stuff. But I don't think that's even the case anymore. I don't think the elites even have a good control of, of some of these leftists. I think they're so uh, wrapped up in, in this ideology now that they pick up in the university system and that they pick up through social media and, you know, this kind of uh, game of, of out virtue signaling each other. Uh, that I, I don't think the, you know, the kind of liberal elites even have a grip on this stuff now. This is an ideology that's, that's totally out of control. It's obsessed with oppression and finding equality and, uh, you know, basically a, a sort of simmering anti-whiteness as well as part of this. And there was a time where the left maintained some sort of veneer of, of liberalism, like respect for free speech and, you know, anti-war, these kinds of things. But all of that has been kind of cast aside now. And you see that they're willing to use any means necessary to follow through on that resentful social ideology, right? They'll use the state, they'll crack down on free speech, uh, they'll support foreign wars and military spending. And yeah, it's it really is like a, a total transformation of, of the left into a very new beast that is, you know, very difficult to deal with because they, they don't play by any of the old rules. They don't respect political discourse. They don't respect free speech. And they really will do any, any means necessary to get their agenda implemented. Keith, final question. Thanks for coming on today. And before you go, I'll ask you to give us the bit shoot details. And I know there's one website with all your links on it. You can, um, I, I know you've, um, in the last couple of years, you've picked up a huge following. Uh, congratulations to you. The writing is really good, by the way, and the podcasts are excellent. I've been listening to them over the last few days. Keith Woods is our guest. You touched on something that I've been banging on about for years, right? You talked about um, right-wing alternatives that are, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you now, that are not entirely genuine. And there is a phenomenon that I've witnessed over the years and I've found it difficult to describe it because I'm not a very good writer, but I can talk about it on air, right? And that is, um, the elites give us pressure valves, don't they? And the pressure valves sometimes come in the guise of new, you know, conservative news channels, for example, like GB News and Talk TV and others. And you know, laterally Tucker Carlson and, you know, I, I would have a lot of time for some of the stuff that Tucker Carlson got behind in the last couple of years on his show. But ultimately, I see these um, kind of things, these right wing alternatives as places where people are steered towards because ultimately the elites are aware that people need, they need a release valve. You know, they need to just release that pressure when it's building on people and building on them, you know, the constant tyranny. And um, ultimately, I think when people get steered down these directions, they kind of give up kind of responsibility for themselves. And when they're going to their favourite conservative speaker on whatever channel it happens to be, who's standing up against um, vaccine mandates and who's standing up against um, gender, you know, queer theory and stuff like that. Um, ultimately, I, I suspect it's often what the elites want. Yeah, you go over there and you have your big rant over there and ultimately it means that you really won't take any steps against us. Now, that might come across as very simplistic. If you think it is, feel free to dismantle it. How do you feel about that? No, I 100% agree. There's actually a paper on this. Uh, I was searching it there, trying to remember the name of it while you were speaking. It's called Centre-Right Political Parties in Advanced Democracies. Uh, 
uh, it's done by two political scientists. And basically what they did was they studied like what contributes to the rise of, you know, what they call the so-called far right, but basically just like popular political movements, populist movements um, that express the will of the people and, and challenge this, you know, liberal progressivism, the elite ideology. And actually the main thing they found, their main conclusion is that the main way to stop the rise of a so-called populist movement and the main way to ensure again what they call liberal democracy which you know to them just means uh, elite rule right banks to rule uh, the main way to stop it is to have a strong center-right party and they look back at, at history of, of places where there had been successful populist uh, movements and they found that the main issue was that they didn't have a strong center-right and i think you can see this play out like in the uk right there's there's been very little success for uh, populist parties for parties kind of outside the mainstream, but they, they have a strong conservative party, same with the, the Republican Party in the US. And it's kind of obvious if you think about it, why this happens, right? You know, there's there's a lot of dissent around an issue, ordinary people take issue with something, and they have this sort of immediate option here, the center-right that feels like an opposition, but most of the time it just, you know, redirects that dissent back into something that's very regime-friendly. So, you know, this is something that's that's tried and tested. The main way to control a population isn't even to have a, a strong left wing, but to have a strong fake center right political party. So that's why, you know, as as much as as we focus on on the evils of the left and so on, I think it's it's very important to be aware of these these fake populist movements, these fake right wing movements, and you know to challenge them and undermine them as much as possible because. Uh, according to this paper and uh, according to, I think, things we see play out in the real world, you name some examples, that's really the main stumbling block to a real alternative emerging. Keith, you're brilliant stuff. I really enjoyed having you on. You are on Twitter, Twitter even. It's twitter.com forward slash KeithWoodsYT for YouTube. Uh, KeithWoodsYT on Twitter. And I'm looking at this here. It's bio.link forward slash KeithWoods. Is that right to get all your links? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, if if anyone goes to my my Twitter, they'll they'll find all the links there. Keith Woods YT, and yeah, it's it's been great to be on here. I've really enjoyed this discussion, Richie. Thanks, Keith. I hope you'll come back on again. And what I'll do, folks, um, I'm going to obviously put links to Keith on the podcast notes, right? So wherever you get the podcast, Spotify, wherever, on in the notes you'll get the links. You'll get the hyperlinks to uh, Keith's uh, Substack, to his Bitchute, and uh, to his Twitter. Keith, thanks, mate. God speed to you. Look after yourself. Appreciate it. God bless. Bye for now. Keith Woods, folks. Keith is a social and political commentator on the right, uh, on the line to us this evening from Ireland, speaking about that legislation, which is creeping through Dáil Éireann, that um, amended, because you go back to... um, Ireland had a law to deal with incitement to hatred, dating back to 1989, which covered everything, really, right? Incitement to hatred, incitement to violence. The new bill, the Criminal Justice Incitement to Violence or Hatred and Hate Offences Bill 2022 is draconian in the extreme. We've been talking about it as linked with Keith even in the last um, half an hour, 40 minutes. I'll take a tune now. There has been a huge reaction to this. Lots of messages coming through the app and through the website. So I'll be reading your uh, messages when we come back. I've got Leonard Skinner on Monday's Richie Allen Show. Here we go. Yeah, me, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. It's uh, 11 minutes past six. 
Leonard Skinner, Sweet Home, Alabama. Jonathan Stone has been in touch. How are you doing, Jonathan? With regards to Sweet Home, Alabama, for about 20 years, I thought that line, well, I heard Neil Young singing about her, was, well, I'm just a young single mother. That's a whole show, that. Misheard lyrics. Didn't Peter Kay, the Bolton... A born comedian once do a terrific routine based on that very reality, didn't he? That um, well, he I think he attributed that problem to older people that they would misunderstand lyrics and songs, and he had some hilarious examples of it. Isabel says, "Great to hear Keith today. What an eloquent and articulate man, particularly in his final response." Yeah, it's very interesting that it's something I used to get a lot of stick for. I didn't mind. I don't mind. There's no harm in getting a bit of stick from time to time. Was um, what I would suggest to people, you know, don't get too excited about this channel and the fact that it appears to be broadcasting stuff and it appears to be challenging the narrative because in reality it isn't. I had this belief before the COVID thing when the independent, because the independent media has been under attack really for years and years. You know, the way it was under attack primarily before the COVID thing was it was being, algorithms were being used to to lessen and to inhibit the reach of channels. We saw this, we knew this. You might remember, if you have a good memory, that back in 2018, I spoke to a former employee of Google and I, folk, I spoke to somebody who was then, I'm not sure if he still is, but was working for Twitter and explained how it worked. You know, that the genuine independent alternative media, you know, the better stuff that was questioning everything and was open to any discussion, those content creators were being, we've come to understand the term shadow banned, meaning that they would post stuff and immediately the algorithms would work to ensure that very few people saw it outside of a, of a core group who maybe always knew about it. You know, the hardcore listeners or the hardcore viewers. And I didn't understand this. And when the very first uh, YouTube channel for this programme was deleted, a Google employee got in touch to explain what had happened and, and how it was happening. You might remember when... Was it 2017 when it demonetized everybody in the independent media? I, I kind of think, looking back now, the, I, I should say the genuine independent media, looking back, it's almost like they were prepping for the scamdemic. You know, that they were acting, even in 2017, thinking about the COVID scam, what was coming down the line, basically. But, um, but back to these fake kind of conservative alternatives. Um, he described it brilliantly there, Keith. Ultimately, they, they, they always proved to be very pro-establishment. Now, during the, during the afternoon while preparing for this programme, I went on to Twitter and Facebook just to have a look at the postings from GB News, from Talk TV. That's really all you've got, really. Uh, around the last three days, I had a look at the Mail Online, I had a look at the Telegraph, and it is, I, I think I described it earlier as fawning in the extreme, really pro-establishment stuff, real propaganda stuff around that coronation, none of which I watched, by the way.
But today I was having a look at it. How did they cover this in, you know, these the, the home of free speech talk TV calls itself, GB News. They refer to themselves as the alternative media. GB News presenters and talk TV presenters will use terms like the mainstream media, which makes me want to get sick. But they were trying to outdo one another, these channels, over the weekend in terms, in terms of how deferential their coverage was of the coronation. There is nothing alternative about them. They do not represent any opposition to the status quo whatsoever. And this is something I've been pleading on about for, for many years. Of course, in these organisations, you will get some men and women with, um, who are genuine and to see an opportunity to put some information in the public domain that is in the interest of the public. But those people don't tend to last too long in these organisations. And before you know it, they're gone. Right? So that's how it is. And I did see this coming, you know, that as they marginalise the genuine independent media, they would have to give the people something that looked to be alternative and independent and that looked to be anti-establishment, but in reality wouldn't be. And that's what you have. And uh, it's a phenomenon that interests me as much now as it did when I began to notice this some years ago, you know. But anyway, lots and lots of messages coming in. Thank you. Tim says, Spiked Online happens to be this month's release valve. Thank you, Tim. Denise came on to say, Our freedom of speech and right to have an opinion is being obliterated. It's plain to see where this is heading. Any media journalists or investigators of the truth and those who find evidence of lies and corruption, they will be made an example of. This will then silence the public. It will have a silencing effect on the public, says Denise. More fear, more tyranny. The average man and woman is slowly having the boot put to their neck. Can't believe the way life is going for souls, says Denise. Thank you. Uh, Denise and hi to Justin and thank you for your funny message <laughs> I appreciate that hi to Martin and Linda uh, who say the gas of life is CO2 that is it Cookie says you don't think the seas are boiling then do you no I don't think the seas are boiling I haven't seen any evidence of the seas boiling not yet anyway would you, would you put it out there if you did yes I would of course Kelly says short videos about controlled opposition parties and media are just pressure valves so the people do nothing because they think the clever people are doing the fighting for them. So they need to be made. These videos need to be made and these channels need to be made to keep the public occupied, to keep people happy, believing that something is going on, that something is happening on behalf of the people. That's right. This is something, again, I've spoken about for years and it hasn't gone down well at times. You know, Mark says, James Whale mentioned you on his show the other day, Richie. James Whale. Did he, Mark? Um, that's, um, I didn't know that. Would you mind sending me a link privately through the message facility on the website? Because if it's anything libelous, I might be interested in it. James Whale. What a tosser. James Whale. Yeah. Do you remember James Whale? The James Whale ITV late night television show many, many moons ago. Are you old enough to remember that? Thanks, Kelly. Uh, thanks for your messages, by the way. Keep them coming in richieallen.co.uk or via the app, which you can download via the App Store or via Google Play. And you can send an instant message to the studio. 
instantaneously if you so choose. And um, it definitely is a Monday. I know that university courses, dear listener, have been done on this Monday thing. You know, on things going wrong on Monday. I know that academia has taken a look at this and if exhaustive studies were performed, were undertaken, and they proved categorically that things do tend to go wrong more on a Monday than any other day of the week. But of course they went into it forensically. They put it down to a lot of different factors. Tiredness, you know, fatigue, you've had a heavy weekend uh, or whatnot. But um, one or two of my programmes are proving to be a bit slow. I got up this morning at 3.30. I'm not much of a sleeper. And uh, woke up at 3.30 and made my way to the loo as I do. And as I made my way to the loo, I couldn't believe how cold the air was. I thought, it's freezing. What's going on? And I'm not normally a cold person. I thought, why is it so bloody cold? I mean, it was absolutely freezing. And for some reason, I walked around the corridor into the studio and the aircon unit had come on all by itself in the studio. This is, um, I don't know, paranormal activity or something. No idea, but it did. And I think it had been on for a few hours. Can't wait to get the next electricity bill. But um, for some reason it was on. And it hasn't been used this year at all. Because the weather hasn't been warm enough this year to use the aircon. And God, heavens forbid, it's going to be expensive to use the aircon unit this summer. But I'll have to use it in the studio because it gets so bloody warm, right? But it was on. Full, full whack. Freezing cold. I thought this is my paranormal activity moment. Why is it on? So I turned it off and anyway it's off. I looked at it to see if the timer was on. No, no timer on. It was just on. What's happening? Things that go bump in the night at BBG Towers, dear listener. That's got to be the explanation. I, I can't think of any other one. Have you had anything like that happen before? Have you had strange noises, knocks, little bangs on windows at three o'clock in the morning? But that's my, that's my, my um, spooky. I've never had anything else happen like that ever. But the aircon is on full whack. We don't have a cat. So nobody, no creature walked across it to set it off. The remote, remote control is on the wall in any case. I can't figure that one out. So I can't. Alan came on to say he remembers Mike Dickin, who sadly died in a car accident. I don't know who that is, shamefully. Was he a radio presenter of, of, of sorts, was he? I, I, I don't know. Uh, the BBC is reporting that Russia has launched its biggest kamikaze drone attack on Ukraine. You might be following this. Again, as I said last week, I am at a loss to come to any understanding as to what is going on in Ukraine. To you, dear listener, this is dragged on now for close to a year and a half. It seems that for the most part, for the most part, the media just lost interest in it. You know, you had hourly updates last year on Sky. Now, once every couple of days, they'll bring in some general to tell you how it's going and um, what the state of play is in the country. But by and large, even in the broadsheet newspapers, this is not being covered. What is happening in Ukraine? Well, the BBC is reporting that explosions were heard overnight in Kiev, where the mayor said five people had been injured in the biggest kamikaze drone attack so far. It rumbles on. But is it a case of wag the dog? Nobody agrees with me. Nobody agrees with me. Uh, Emma says, are you sure one of your girls didn't turn on your aircon? No, definitely wasn't one of the girls. The remote con- 
troll is in a little sleeve which is screwed to the wall. So, uh, no, no, genuinely never ha- had any, you know, supernatural things going on at all. Sam says, sorry to say, says Sam, but at this point, it's every man for themselves. There is no cavalry over the ridge, says Sam. There's no saviour. And yet, I know, because any time I give a negative mention to the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, whenever I mention him negatively, and, you know, there, there isn't any other way to mention him, but negatively, he's a disgusting human being, isn't he, Donald Trump? I mean, he, he is a disgusting human being by the things he says and how he behaves. By his own behaviour, any reasonable, right-thinking person would conclude that Donald Trump is a disgusting human being. He's a disgusting human being. You don't have to say it again. Okay, I won't say it again. But any negative mention of Donald is met with an avalanche of abuse (laughs) from people who are unwilling, obtuse, stupid. all, All options are on the table. Um, can't see past th- this messiah thing where you know it's not the it's not the system it's the players we've just got the wrong guy Biden if Trump hadn't have had the election stolen and he didn't have the election stolen it wasn't stolen they didn't need to steal it those who think it was stolen they don't understand how these things work Trump was picked by the same people that picked Joe Biden it's, this is how it works the elites, as mentioned by Keith Woods earlier on, those who make these decisions chose Trump and they chose Biden, they chose Obama, they chose Clinton, they chose W. If you can't see that, there's no hope for you. Sam is right, there is no cavalry coming to rescue us, it's down to us. And it is down to us alone, dear listener, isn't it? In our towns, in our villages, in our communities, to stop things like these hate speech laws coming into Ireland. To stop things like the online harms bill progressing through the UK Parliament. To stop the climate tyranny coming down the road. There is no man or woman on planet Earth that is going to save us from it. It's down to us and us alone. I agree with you, Sam. But it's a scary thought, maybe. And that's why maybe people cling to their heroes, you know. Maybe. And why they 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 grasp at at these people when they come along, Orban in Hungary and and others of his ilk around the world. Your man DeSantis in Florida, oh, he's brilliant. No, no, he's a system product, is what he is, in my opinion. A number of you now are jumping on this Mike Dickin bandwagon. I'll I'll have to look into this because I have no idea. Um, Screech says he was a good man. I believe there were some questions in certain areas about his death. News to me. Peter says, the NATO-US-UK manufactured war isn't going well for the tyrants, hence the lack of exposure and commentary from the legacy media. Thank you, Peter. Will has been on to say, Richie, if a neighbour has a similar aircon system, their control could sometimes accidentally turn yours on. Brilliant, Will. Absolutely brilliant. But that's not the answer. We are the only people foolish enough to have an aircon unit in our neighbourhood because I've looked around. And uh, of of this type. So, no, that's not the answer, but bloody good thinking there will. Charlie says the aircon could be the Grim Reaper, Richie. It could be the Grim Reaper. I hope it isn't. I plan on hanging around 
for at least a few years longer. But today I'm about to take my leave of you. Uh, thanks to Keith Woods for coming on the show. Really appreciate that. Uh, I'm back with you tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time for Tuesday's Richie Allen show. I could hang around for another half an hour, but all I'll be doing is reading messages. So um, back with you tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time. I will have guests. I will have plenty of talking points and news analysis. Until then, it's bye for me. Leaving you with this from Steve Winwood. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Until tomorrow, bye now.